1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one bit crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
2: of a detour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness.
0: It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
3: Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of murder, sexual content, gore, and violence that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note. All myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining, and supplemented them with additional research into ancient Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Jason was exhausted. His brow was caked with sweat and dirt, and he could smell his own burnt hair. He had faced the fire-breathing bulls of Apollo and survived, but his task was far from over. Jason tensed as he felt the ground tremble beneath his feet. For a moment, he thought it might be an earthquake, The trembling grew steadily stronger until the loose soil of the field before him began to shift and move like a bubbling cauldron. And then the first human hand reached up out of the earth. It was followed by another, and then another. Within seconds, dozens of figures crawled out of the soil. They emerged from the earth in perfect rows, like stalks of wheat. Their skin was ashen gray and cracked, as if their very bodies were made of clay. They carried swords, shields, and spears, and were dressed in full armor, born ready for war. But the strangest thing about the soldiers was their eyes, which were blank and lifeless, like the eyes of marionettes, and which fixed suddenly on Jason, who stood alone at the edge of the field. For a moment, no one moved. Jason stared back at the phalanx of earth-born soldiers, scared so much as to breathe. Then, with no order or warning, they pivoted toward him and began to march. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today we're continuing the story of Jason and the Golden Fleece. It's an epic, seafaring adventure full of monsters and magic. While it contains some of the most thrilling, action-packed moments in all of Greek mythology, it's also a story that doesn't shy away from tragedy and darkness. We'll see these elements come to the forefront with the arrival of an exceptionally complicated figure, the sorceress Medea. Jason was the rightful heir to the throne of the city of Iolkos, but his father was betrayed and deposed by Jason's uncle, Peleus. When Jason turned 20, he returned and demanded that the usurper step aside. Peleus tried to get rid of Jason by sending him on an impossible quest to retrieve a legendary golden fleece from the distant land of Colchis. Determined to prove that he was up to the task, and thus deserving of the throne, Jason agreed. He set sail with a crew of famed heroes who became known as the Argonauts. By the time the Argonauts arrived in Colchis, they had traveled further than any Greek ever had before, but their task was far from over. On the shores of the city of Aya, they were greeted by the enormous army of King Aeetes. The king pointed his golden scepter at Jason and bellowed a warning.
1: You strangers must be fools, or you would not trespass in the land of King Aeetes. Have you not heard that my warriors are people of Ares and
4: skilled in battle? Indeed, we would be fools, King Aeates, if we had any intention of fighting, even considering my crew. The noblest warriors of Greece, who have sailed across the world, who defeated the six-armed Gegenes on the battlefield and faced the hounds of Zeus, the horrible harpies. Even we who passed the impassable clashing rocks would not dare to face such warriors as yours. Then why are you here? Why? To offer my services, those of myself and my crew. We would do one task for you, King Iades. Whatever you choose, all we ask in return is to be allowed to return the Golden Fleece to Thessaly.
3: For a moment, Jason was sure Aeates was about to order his men to charge, but then a broad smile spread across the king's features and he began to laugh.
1: (laughs) Oh, a task worthy of the fleece. Very well, I will need nothing of your crew. My challenge is for one man alone. All I ask is that you plow one of my fields. Oh, well, that sounds agreeable. For the cattle, you shall have the bulls of Apollo. Their hooves are bronze and their breath
4: flames. Fire-breathing bulls.
1: For your seeds, you shall sow the teeth of the Dragon of Ares.
4: If you wish, but I doubt there will be much of a harvest. From the
1: teeth shall grow the Spartoi warriors, children of the earth. I stand corrected. When you have cut them down, your task will be done, and the fleece will be yours.
3: For once, Jason did not know how to respond. Aetis' challenge sounded impossible, and he was not the only one who thought so. Little did they know. They were being watched over and guided by the queen of the gods herself, Hera. While Hera is known for her vengeance, Jason experienced her aid in a uniquely positive way. Hera took great pleasure in punishing mortals, particularly those involved in her husband's extramarital affairs. But for Jason, she played the role of a protector. And now... Hera had to take her most significant step to help Jason yet. Up on Mount Olympus, Hera was not pleased. Jason seemed incapable of keeping himself out of trouble. Mortals never learned. Hera reached the goddess of love's apartment and rapped on the door impatiently.
5: Aphrodite, there is something I wanted to ask you. Do you recall the mortal Jason?"
3: Aphrodite sighed and rolled her eyes, as if she couldn't even spend the energy to speak with Hera, something Hera was rather used to.
5: When I was on Earth, crossing a river in the guise of an old beggar woman, Jason happened to see me and offered to carry me across. He lost his sandals, so I feel like I owe him. And his bastard Uncle Peleus needs to get his comeuppance as it is. Are you aware Peleus hasn't presented me an offering in twenty years?"
3: Aphrodite sighed again, as if saying, "'Get to the point.'"
5: "'I thought you might be able to talk to your son, Eros, for me.'"
3: Looking bored to tears, Aphrodite started slowly closing her door.
5: "'Have Eros go to Aeates' daughter, the sorceress Medea. Even if you wish me no favors, would it not be entertaining to see her betray her own father?'
3: Aphrodite's eyebrows rose. Her interest was finally piqued.
5: I thought you'd agree.
3: Medea was a princess, a powerful sorceress, and the high priestess of Hecate, goddess of magic. She was also the granddaughter of Helios, the god of the sun. Her divine heritage and mastery of magic made her one of the most dangerous women in the world and a magnificent ally or a terrible foe. And right now, she had a plan to kill the Argonauts. Medea crept along the dark hallway toward the palace baths. Her father had invited the Argonauts in to dine and bathe, provided they left their weapons behind. Medea knew that her father had no intention of letting these men leave with his beloved fleece. The challenge was an obvious trap. What didn't make sense was that the captain had accepted.
2: And where might you be going?
3: The bronze-clad figure stepped out of the shadows. It was Medea's brother, Absyrtus.
5: Absyrtus, you shouldn't jump out at people like that.
2: And you shouldn't creep along dark corridors. Again, where are you going?
5: I want to get a look at the man who will be facing father's trials.
2: Oh, perhaps you heard his tales of heroism and have fallen for the pirate?
3: Medea laughed at her brother.
5: (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. I want to be prepared in case father needs my help.
2: There won't be need for your incantation, sister. That man is going to die on the fields tomorrow. Peek away if it will satisfy your curiosity.
3: Medea continued to the baths and peered inside. She scanned the men's faces one by one, wondering which was the captain. Her gaze fell on a man sitting alone, seemingly lost in thought. He was younger than most of the other sailors, with long, tangled locks of golden hair that cascaded down his shoulders onto a muscular back. Medea's breathing quickened. Her face felt flush. The man stood suddenly, and Medea darted back into the shadows, frightened that he would look over and see her watching. The thought of it thrilled her, and that scared her even more. She knew, in a part of her mind that seemed like a distant memory, that she had come here plotting to kill this man. So where had these strange thoughts and feelings come from? And why was she now worried, not worried, terrified, that he would die tomorrow? How could she let the man she loved die? And how could she, Medea, high priestess of Hecate, be in love with this pirate who she had only just seen? Medea tore her eyes away and went sprinting back up the corridor, as if hoping to outrun the thoughts that had possessed her. Had she not been in such a hurry, she might have noticed the winged archer as he slunk out the open window and flew off into the night. Up next, Jason tackles King Aeates' trials with the help of a surprising new ally.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be
3: Now back to the story. Jason agreed to King Aeates' challenge, which seemed certain to kill him. But Hera wasn't ready to give up on her hero yet. She sent Eros to make the king's daughter, Medea, fall in love with Jason. For Medea was a powerful sorceress in her own right, and Hera suspected that she would not sit idly by while the man she loved was in danger. That danger was all too real for the Argonauts, and the reality of the next day's task grew starker with each passing hour. By the time they returned to the ship, a grim mood had settled over the crew. One by one, they begged Jason to let them take his place.
4: I don't see why you should have to be the one to face the trials tomorrow. It could be any of us. You know why, us. I'm the one who talked you all into coming on this quest, and I'm the captain.
1: Yes, and we'll need a captain if we ever want to get home again. If only
4: Hercules were here. This is just his sort of thing. I'd tell Hercules the same thing I'm telling you. No one's taking my place. Where are you going? Somewhere less mutinous.
3: Jason stalked onto the shore toward the tree line. The moon shone brightly off the still river, and he had to go quite a ways into the reeds and dense foliage before he was confident the crew could no longer see him. He leaned his back against a tree and stared up at the constellations of the Milky Way.
4: Hera, you listening? I hope you have more tricks up your sleeve, because I think I'm about out. Who's there?
5: I'm armed. You're not. You left your sword on the boat. Not very smart, considering.
3: Jason stared at the strange woman still half obscured by the branches and shadows. Her robes were so black that she seemed a part of the night. Jason wondered if she could be Selene, the moon herself.
4: What do you want?
5: Only to see the man facing my father's trials.
4: Aeidi's daughter? Well, you've seen me. Sorry if you're disappointed.
5: You don't sound confident in your chances. Are you not the man who traveled further than any Greek... Who faced the Gegenes in battle and sailed through the clashing rocks?
4: And defeated Zeus's harpies. Oh, we may have gotten lucky once or twice. And we didn't all make it. There were a lot more of us before I led them to the edge of the world. And for what? So I could prove I deserve to be king? What kind of a king does that?
5: You care a great deal about your men.
3: A lot of good it's done them. Jason eyed the princess warily as she moved closer, finally stopping right in front of him. She took his hand and pressed something into his palm. He looked down at the vial of dark liquid.
5: Take this before you face the bulls. It will make you impervious to their fiery breath.
4: I don't understand. Why are you helping me?
5: I see no reason for you and your men to suffer, because my father cannot part with his blanket.
4: The fleece is not a... I I mean, sorry. Thank you.
5: Thank me when you have the fleece. The real challenge begins once you've sewn the dragon's teeth, and you face my father's Spartoi warriors.
4: You don't have a magic potion to protect against swords and spears, I take it.
5: You will not need
3: one. Jason listened eagerly as Medea explained how to defeat the Spartoi. He could not have guessed that Hera was watching them from Mount Olympus, pleased that everything was going according to plan. The next day, Jason stood at the edge of King Aeetes's field, waiting for the trials to begin. He looked up at the spectators watching from the nearby hill. The entire city of Aya had come to watch. He could see the Argonauts sitting in a small group at the far edge of the hill, there had been almost twice as many of them when they had set sail from Iolcos, which now felt like a lifetime ago. Jason's gaze continued to the opposite end of the hill, where a small pavilion had been erected. King Aeetes sat beneath the awning in robes the same color as his crown, watching Jason with hungry anticipation. Medea sat beside her father, watching the hero with the same intense focus. Jason hoped he could trust her. The potion she had given him had burned going down. Jason tore his attention from Medea and the spectators as two enormous bulls came trotting onto the field, driven forward by a team of King Aeates' men. They spotted Jason and charged. The first bull's horns grazed Jason's shoulder as he rolled clear of its trampling hooves. He clambered hurriedly to his feet, just in time to throw himself out of the path of the second bull. Medea watched from her seat in the pavilion, heart pounding in her chest. The potion she had given Jason made him invulnerable to the bull's flaming breath, but he still had to contend with those horns. Winded and breathing heavily, Jason got to his feet yet again and turned to face the bulls. They pawed the ground and bellowed angrily. Smoke billowed from their nostrils and panting mouths. The first bull charged again, but this time Jason didn't dodge. He caught the creature by the horns and planted his feet. The bull continued to press forward, shaking its neck wildly as it pushed Jason back. The hero held on tight, and slowly he brought the beast to a halt. Fire erupted from the bull's mouth, enveloping Jason. When the smoke lifted, the hero still stood, seemingly undamaged by the flames. Medea glanced at her father, King Aetes sat beside her, watching the events below with unmasked fury. She suppressed a smile and turned to watch Jason wrestle the bull to its knees. He left the exhausted beast on the edge of the field and then headed back to capture its brother. Minutes later, he fastened the beam around the necks of the panting animals, locking the pair together. The Argonauts on the far end of the hill exploded into applause.
1: He may have bested the fire-breathing bulls, but no matter. He'll be no match for the Spartoi. He is still one man, and the Spartoi have never failed to crush armies.
3: The Argonauts' cheers eventually faded to silence once more. The spectators watched for hours as Jason led the bulls up and down the fields until all four acres had been plowed. When he finally released the bulls, they wandered over to a pond at the edge of the field and collapsed, utterly spent. Then Jason set about sowing the dragon teeth. He walked the rows of upturned earth, scattering the teeth. When his pouch was empty, he stopped at the edge of the field and waited. He did not have to wait long. A smile crept across Aietes' features as the freshly upturned soil below began to shift. Medea watched as the gray, armor-clad warriors clambered out of the earth. They began to advance on Jason. He was still crouching near the ground and appeared to be picking through the dirt at his feet apparently unconcerned by the approaching soldiers.
1: What's he doing now?
3: The Spartoi were now only a few yards from Jason. When he finally stood back up, he held a small, smooth stone he had taken from the ground. He cranked back his arm and threw the stone into the air. It took a wide arc, sailing high, before plummeting down onto the head of one of the advancing soldiers. Uh. The Spartoi looked up and around, confused as to who had struck him. Then, confident he'd figured it out, he turned and shoved the soldier beside him. The second Spartoi whirled on the first and shoved back, sending him tumbling into a third, who didn't hesitate before driving his spear through his perceived attacker. In an instant, the phalanx of soldiers had descended into a blur of flying swords and spears. King Aeates shook with fury and confusion as he watched his supernatural army hack itself to pieces. At the other end of the hill, the Argonauts howled with laughter. Jason wandered over toward the remnants of the massacre. Two mortally wounded soldiers were still grappling on the ground, trying with their last breaths to strangle one another. Jason picked up a discarded spear and executed the dying Spartoi, killing them both with a single stab. He turned to face the king.
4: All right, Aeades. I yoked your bulls, plowed your fields, sowed your crops and harvested them. I'll be taking the fleece now.
3: Medea watched her father gasp and sputter, unable to respond to the nonchalant hero. The elation she had felt in seeing Jason overcome the challenges wavered. She had only wanted to save him, but now there was no denying it. She had become a traitor. That night, the Argonauts celebrated on their ship. Jason sat in their midst, feeling somewhat undeserving of their praise.
2: Forget Hercules. We've got
1: a new greatest hero, and he's not even a demigod. To our captain,
5: Jason! You'll be toasting a dead man if you don't get out of here.
3: Medea had no trouble sneaking aboard while the Argonauts celebrated.
4: Crew, meet Medea. Medea, crew. I couldn't have done it without- You
5: must go. My father is determined not to relinquish the fleece. His army descends on you this very night.
4: He lied to us! But I did everything he asked. I could have died.
5: You still can, you fool. Now go!
4: I'm not leaving without the fleece.
5: Men and treasure. Fine. I will help you steal the fleece, but we must go now.
4: You heard her. Get the ship turned around. I'll meet you where the river forks. You're going alone? Not alone. I've got Medea with me.
3: Medea led Jason through winding corridors and tunnels until they reached a sprawling garden at the very heart of the palace. Soon the trees gave way to a moonlit grove with a dark oak at the center. From an outstretched bough hung the golden fleece, shimmering in the moonlight. At first, it seemed like the ground at the base of the tree was moving, Then Jason saw the glint of shiny scales. An enormous serpent was coiled around the tree. It raised its massive head, its skull larger than Jason himself, and fixed the hero with piercing yellow eyes. Jason drew his sword, ready for the serpent to strike. Medea brushed past Jason before he could stop her. The snake's gaze fell on the unarmed woman, who began to sing as she approached. Jason wanted to grab her, or at least to shout at her to get back, but he found himself paralyzed. The song's effect on the snake was even more pronounced. Its massive head bobbed, its eyelids fluttered, until at last, it lowered its chin to the ground, asleep. Jason watched as Medea continued toward the tree. When he realized he could move again, he hurried after her, taking care not to step on the snake's tail.
5: I thought this beast was never supposed to sleep. Which is why she was so tired.
3: Medea reached up and carefully lifted the golden fleece from the bough of the tree, then turned to present it to Jason. He stared at her in wonder.
4: Medea... I'll never forget what you've done for me.
5: It's the gods you should thank, for I know not what has compelled me to turn against my father, only that I could not bear to see you
3: die.
4: Come with me, back to Thessaly. All Greeks will know what you've done and praise you as a queen.
3: Medea looked at Jason with eyes that shone with joy, her shame momentarily forgotten. She kissed him beneath the oak of Ares, with the fleece held between them and the slumbering serpent coiled about their feet. Moments later, Medea stole down the hall with a box of her most cherished potions. Jason had agreed to wait while she collected them from her room.
2: And where might you be going?
3: The bronze-clad prince loomed out of the shadows. Absyrtus, you shouldn't... I'm not going
5: anywhere.
2: Isn't it strange how that man was unhurt by the bull's fire? And I wonder how he knew how to beat the spar toy? I don't know. Almost as strange as my sister stealing from her room in the dead of night with her most valuable possessions. One might think you are trying to flee with him.
5: Absyrtus, please, just let me pass. The fleece doesn't matter, it's only our father's
3: pride.
2: Yes, it is his pride and mine. And you have humiliated them both.
3: Medea saw movement over her brother's shoulder. Jason was slinking toward them in the darkness, unseen by Obsertus.
2: I don't understand, Medea. How could you betray us? We're going to kill him, you know. They'll never escape.
3: I'm sorry, Absirtus. <gasps> Medea choked back a sob as the blade erupted from Absirtus's chest. Jason had run her brother through from behind. Medea ran forward to catch him before he fell.
5: Medea. I'm so sorry, brother.
3: Tears streaming down her cheeks. Medea watched as the light faded from her brother's eyes. Up next, Jason, Medea, and the Argonauts flee from Colchis with the golden fleece in tow and the vengeful King Aeates on their tail.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
4: of a detour.
2: This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and gift mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
3: Now, back to the story. Medea had warned Jason of her father's plan to attack the Argonauts, rather than handing over the Golden Fleece as he had agreed. She helped Jason steal the fleece, and when her brother Absertus tried to stop them, she assisted Jason in murdering the prince. Jason watched, deeply troubled, as Medea hacked her brother's limbs from his body.
4: Is this really necessary?
5: We will tie each of his limbs to a different horse and send them each in a different direction. My father will want to see Absirtus buried properly and send his armies to collect the pieces. This will keep them occupied long enough for us to escape. Help me.
3: Jason did as she bid, silently reminding himself to never cross this woman. Once Absirtus' remains were scattered, they set sail. Speeding away from Colchis, the Argo flew through the water. In the gray light of dawn, Jason stood at the bow considering the shimmering fleece in his hands. Suddenly, Medea gripped his shoulder. Jason, look! My father's ships! Jason looked back, not surprised to see the entire fleet of Colchis bearing down on them.
4: You didn't think he'd let me leave with his fleece and his daughter, did you?
3: Jason dashed to the side of the ship and peered over the railing. Not far ahead, the waves chopped and swirled viciously, forming a massive whirlpool. A circle of jagged rocks poked from the water at the edge of the storm. And there was something else, barely visible beneath the frothing waves. Jason's eyes widened with fear as he realized what he was looking at.
4: That's no mere maelstrom.
3: The creature Charybdis. It was a mouth. An enormous, toothy, gaping maw, sucking in seawater with all the ferocity of a dehydrated sailor.
4: Hard to port! Steer us clear
1: of those jaws! Jason, to port! There's... I don't know what it is!
3: Jason spun around. Steering away from Charybdis had brought them closer to the eastern edge of the strait, High in the cliff walls, Jason could see the mouth of a cave and something was moving inside. As he watched, a dozen long gray tentacles slithered from the cave, reaching for the passing ship.
4: It's Scylla, hard to starboard. Stay away from those cliffs.
5: Too far in the other direction and we'll be lost to Charybdis.
3: What do we do, Captain? Jason weighed his options If he steered too close to Charybdis, the ship would be caught in the whirlpool's current and pulled into the hungry mouth. Too far the other way, and they would be seized by the reaching arms of Scylla. Turn back and face the fleet of Colchis. Captain,
4: what's the order? I don't know, I don't.
3: Up ahead, just visible amidst the frothing waves, dozens of sea nymphs leaped and danced through the water. One of them looked back at the Argo and waved for Jason to follow her. He did not know who she was or that she and her sisters had been sent by Hera to save him once more, but he had learned to take help when it was offered. He ordered the Argonauts to row after the nymphs. The Argo cut a course straight between the two monsters, the ocean immediately to their right seemed to fall away, like they were traveling along the lip of a bowl, Charybdis's yawning mouth at the bottom, even an inch more in that direction and they would be sucked down to those waiting teeth. At the other end of the ship, Scylla's arms groped for the Argonauts, rowing just out of reach— Suddenly, one of the tentacles wrapped around an oar and dragged its wielder overboard.
4: Pull in the oars where she can't reach them. But we won't be able to steer. We'll be at the mercy of the gods. We always worried us.
3: The men obeyed and the Argo slid through the water, propelled by the wind alone. To their right, Charybdis seemed to be guzzling the whole ocean, while on their left, Scylla's frustrated arms groped, the tips of her tentacles just grazing the hull. And then the Argo was clear of them both. The Argonauts cheered, praising the gods for their fortune. They took up their oars again, and Jason gave the order to make for home. The words had barely escaped his lips when Jason heard the strange sound. At first he thought it must be the wind, for it was unlike any human voice he had ever heard. Then he saw them. Three women stood on the cliffs of a nearby island, singing to the ship as it sailed past. They beckoned to Jason, imploring him to come to them. Medea saw the change come over Jason, just as it did the rest of the crew. Horror washed over her as she realized what was happening. It was the dreaded sirens. Medea forced her fingers into her ears, but it was too late for the crew. There had been no order, but the crew rode as one, steering the Argo straight toward the island and the rocky cliffs, Jason walked to the edge of the ship, as if it was not moving him to the sirens fast enough. Another step, and he would fall into the sea.
5: Jason, wake up! I beg you!
3: As she pled with Jason, something changed. Medea turned, searching for this new source of music. Orpheus stood at the center of the ship with his lyre. He had wrapped a strip of cloth around his head, covering his ears. As he began to sing, his powerful voice soared above the ship, drowning out those of the sirens. One by one, the crew of the Argo stirred from their collective trance. They steered the ship away from the island and the sirens, who themselves had stopped singing to listen. Jason was last to awaken. As he stared at his crew, he wondered at how close they had come to disaster. Jason found Medea at the back of the ship, weeping silently as she watched her father's ships being torn apart by the twin mouths of Scylla and Charybdis. He took her in his arms, turning her away from the massacre. We did it, my love.
5: Yes. You have accomplished everything you set out to achieve. And I have betrayed all that I once called home
4: then we will make a new home.
3: As the shore of Colchis faded in the distance, Jason realized for the first time how much Medea had left behind. And for him, a man with no special skills other than dedication to his task, he was a lucky hero indeed. The return trip was as long again as the journey there, with as many interruptions. They stayed briefly with the sea witch Circe, who gave Medea penance so that the gods would forgive her crimes against her family. Medea would not forgive herself. Jason and Medea were married in a cave beside the sea, with the golden fleece as their wedding bed. When at last they sailed into Iolkos, she stood with him at the bow, holding aloft the fleece for the crowds who had come to welcome the heroes home.
0: Look at them.
4: Hundreds of women. And not one of them is part bird or a monster that wants to drown you in the seas. They're strong Greeks. Brave, honorable Greeks. All I've done is take a trip across the world to collect a shiny blanket. How am I supposed to be their king?
5: It is the will of the gods that you should be king.
4: Maybe the gods ask too much.
5: You fear that you have replaced one impossible task for another? Perhaps. A field you have plenty of experience in, then. And you won't be alone.
4: Lower the gangway.
3: Home at last. Jason, Medea, and the crew left the Argo and descended to the waiting crowds. Jason and the Golden Fleece is one of the world's oldest hero's quest tales, a story of individuals going out into the chaotic unknown to bring back treasure for their community. Historians have interpreted the significance of the Golden Fleece in various ways. It could symbolize the spread of sheep husbandry or gold mining technology or agriculture, or it might merely represent authority and the right of kingship. In any case, it's most likely the imagery of heroes facing the unknown that most appealed to the early Greeks, who had plenty to fear outside of their towns and communities. The wild terrain that Jason traverses in his journey was very real for them, so much so that many elements in the legend can be traced to distinct locations and physical landmarks, while other episodes serve as founding stories for towns and communities along the Black Sea. These universal themes may also help explain why Jason's tale has endured across the centuries, appearing in artwork and inspiring literature up to the present day. Like all Greek heroes, Jason faces unbelievable obstacles and, time and again, finds a way to come out on top. But what makes him and his story memorable are not his great strength, unrivaled bravery, or even the fact that the Queen of the Gods decided to make him her pet project. Jason's tale is the story of a regular man in a world too large for him to comprehend. A man who goes out into the wilderness despite having no clue what dangers he might encounter. He keeps struggling, even when it seems certain he will fail. Despite everything, He eventually manages to find his way home again with something to share. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told orally and unadulterated traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children and every other saturday we dive into another dark classic tale you can find tales more episodes of mythology and all of parcast's other podcasts on apple podcasts spotify stitcher google play or your favorite podcast directory several of you have asked how to help mythology if you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Mythology is written by Andrew Kelleher. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Susanna Corrington, Harris Markson, Sammy Nye, Steve Pinto, and Brett Schneider. I'm Vanessa Richardson.